Good morning, Blacknall. It's good to be with you all this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Davison. I am a second-year seminary student here at Duke, and I'm also the intern at Blacknall during this strange year. There's a song that's been going through my head this week. I won't sing it for you because that wouldn't be beneficial for any of us, but I'd like to share some of the lyrics that have been rolling around in my head. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. At one point in my childhood, I disliked this song. I thought it was a call to retreat from the world. As I've grown older, I've come to understand the truth of the song. In light of the face of Jesus Christ, everything else in the world pales in comparison. We're continuing on in the book of Mark, and I would like you to keep this song in the back of your head as we continue to journey this gospel. Mark is the fast-paced gospel. Mark has uh, no time for genealogies like the book of Matthew. Mark has no time for angels and shepherds like the book of Luke. Mark just simply begins with the proclamation, Jesus, the Son of God, bursting onto the scene, alerting us to a new reality. Jesus has come. So as we continue on in this fast-paced gospel, keep those words in the back of your mind. Now listen carefully to the word of God. In the morning, while it was very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a wilderness place, and there he prayed. Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go out to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came here to do. So he went throughout all Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. We're on a uh, video, so you're welcome to pause it. Uh, Jot some notes down, jot some reflections. Send me an email, send Alan an email, send Goody or Dave an email with some of your thoughts about what you think about this passage. Love to hear from you. As we move through this passage this morning, I just want to draw your attention to a few things that caught my eye. So we'll look at wilderness, we'll look at searching, and we'll look at mission. So first, wilderness. Jesus goes out while it is very dark to a wilderness place. Now let me set the scene prior to this. The whole city had gathered around Jesus' door. Can you picture this scene? The pressure is mounting. The crowds are closing in. The word is spreading. There is somebody here who is casting out demons and healing people. So Jesus goes out to do some wilderness praying. Jesus' ministry has started, which means that we are moving towards the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be healing. There will be miracles. There will be good news everywhere throughout the way. But Jesus is very cognizant that as his ministry is starting, 
so too is the journey towards the cross. There will be fear. There will be pain. There will be betrayal. And ultimately, there will be abandonment. So Jesus goes out to do some wilderness praying. I bet you know something about wilderness praying. I bet you have found yourself on your bedroom floor while it was very dark in every sense of the word at some point in your life. My mind immediately goes to one of my college best friends who received the phone call that her fiancé had died in an accident. You better believe that that is wilderness praying. I'm sure you've been around for the doctor's phone call where you learn that the cancer is not so much like a golf ball that can be carved out of the skin, but is more like a bag of rice that has been split and scattered all over the body. Maybe you've been around long enough to begin to hear words like hospice and terminal. That's wilderness praying. Maybe you've heard words or uttered them yourselves that have destroyed the relationship. Maybe you have been the victim of those words, and you know that the following months are full of wilderness praying. And perhaps you're there right now. We're coming up on a year anniversary of COVID, and maybe the best way to describe the whole entirety of the past year is simply one long wilderness prayer. As we continue on in this Lent season, I want to ask you to be honest with me this morning. We're moving towards the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection. That is what Lent is all about. And I want you to consider that Jesus joins you in your wilderness prayers, that Jesus is no stranger to the wilderness. In fact, the Bible is full of wilderness prayers, and Jesus knew them by heart. They were things that he internalized. He had read the Psalms and found uh, many of these Psalms to be wilderness prayers. I'm thinking of Christ on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's coming from Psalm 22, the scripture book, the prayer book that Jesus had internalized throughout his life. Jesus knew something about wilderness prayers. I'm thinking of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is sweating blood and pleading for this cup to be taken from him. That's a wilderness prayer. So maybe there's an admonition for us this morning. Maybe there's an invitation for us just to be honest with God. Can we be honest in our wilderness prayers just as Christ has taught us to be honest? What if our prayers were not pre-packaged confessionals that were uh, put in a nice little box and with a bow on top and presented before God in a nice fashion? What if we understood that God welcomes our prayers uh, from the innermost depths of our souls? the unfiltered, unhinged, uh, desperate cries for help. And if we're honest about where we're coming from, we might be able to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth might grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So that's wilderness praying. I wonder if we could also look at searching this morning. 
There's this phrase that's given by Simon and his companions as they hunt for Jesus. Everybody is searching for you. The whole city had gathered around Jesus' door searching for miracles. And Jesus is not willing to be turned into a local supernatural healer. So he retreats away so that his kingship, his messiahship, is not misunderstood. And yet, people continue to search. They're hoping to turn Jesus into a servant of sorts. They're hoping to extract healing. What can this Jesus do for me? And it isn't too hard to insert ourselves into this as well, as we realize we're with the crowds. We also are searching for Jesus. The question becomes, which Jesus are you searching for? Scholars who write on the book of Mark often talk about a thing called the messianic secret. It's this idea that Jesus often doesn't allow people to say who he is or he doesn't proclaim who he is because he doesn't want to be misunderstood. Jesus doesn't want to be seen as simply a good moral teacher. He doesn't want to be seen as simply a social healer. And he's not even a political revolutionary. Jesus does not want his kingship to be misunderstood. Everyone's searching for Jesus, but which Jesus are they searching for? So a focal question that is posed throughout the whole book of Mark and comes to a head in chapter 8, which we will get to at some point, is the question, who do you say that I am? Which Jesus am I to you? In the context of this passage, we might reframe that focal question, who do you say that I am, as which Jesus are you searching for? Are you searching for the Jesus that brings you health, wealth, and prosperity? Are you searching for the Jesus who will get you out of a tough spot? Or maybe if you're honest this morning, as I'm inviting you to be honest, maybe you're not searching for Jesus, which I would propose is actually the same thing as searching for the Jesus who will simply just leave you alone. We are all searching for Jesus in some capacity. We're all searching, we're all being asked, who do you say that I am? We can continue to search for the Jesus of our imagination, this Jesus that brings us health and wealth, this Jesus who gets us out of tough places. We can continue to search for that Jesus, but the, the news is, is that Jesus does not exist. The only Jesus that actually exists is the Jesus who goes crucified to the cross. It's the Jesus we find on the road to Golgotha. And when you find this Jesus, the Jesus who is on the road to the cross, you will have to make a decision. Are you going to pick up your cross and follow Jesus yourself? Or are you going to join the angry mobs that surround him, who spit on him and shout, crucify him. There really isn't another option. We join Christ or we're against him. We pick up our cross or we proclaim for him to be crucified. When you find this suffering cross, here is Christianity's surprise. The radical thing about what we proclaim as Christians is that you may not find the Jesus who brings you wealth but you will find that you are rich beyond compare. 
you may not find the Jesus who brings you the romantic fulfillment that you've always desired or the popularity you've always aspired to. But you'll find that you're a child of the king, which is the grandest title that could ever be bestowed on somebody. You may find when you follow this Jesus that you lose your life, but in the process, you find it. So when we bear our cross, the hope is as if we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's searching. So maybe if you just stick with me for a few more minutes, let's talk about mission. The end of this passage is fantastic. Jesus goes out and says, what I came here to do is proclaim the message and cast out demons. We're alerted to the fact that Christ cannot wait around. Christ cannot be static, cannot sit still, because the kingdom is alive and dynamic. The kingdom is moving, it's breathing, it's stretching, it's expanding. The kingdom is not standing still. And here comes maybe the surprising, a surprising thing about Christianity. The surprising thing about Christian discipleship is that the salvation and the belonging that we find in Jesus Christ, the kingdom that we find and are brought into, is not actually for your own privilege or for you to stand still. It's for you to be sent out into service and mission for the world. It's a sent kingdom. One way we might want to think about this is that when we are enter into the kingdom, when we become part of God's family, we're not only saved from things, although we, of course, are saved from sin and many other things, but we are also saved for something. We're saved for being sent, for mission, for proclamation of the gospel and the casting out of demons. You are saved for a purpose. You belong so that you can do something. Maybe we should interrogate what exactly is the sent church? What does it mean to be the church that's on mission following in the footsteps of Jesus? If we look to the text, it says, proclaiming the message and casting out demons. These might be a little bit hard for us to understand, so maybe if we put it in broader terms, the church is for the purpose of evangelism and justice. Words and deeds. This is what the church is about evangelism, and justice. And here lies the indissoluble nexus of Christian discipleship, is that we are meant for proclamation of the gospel in both word and deed. Doesn't this trip us up often? Have you ever been a part of a conversation where you're asked the question, is your church a church about evangelism, or is your church a church about justice? We try and separate the two. Which church are you guys? Which church is Blacknall? Are they about uh, proclaiming the message and discipleship and growing in knowledge and love of the Lord? Are they about uh, cups of cold water to the nations, uh, pouring out, working for racial justice and reconciliation and all the things that the world so desperately needs? Which church are you? Maybe you've been a part of those conversations. What Jesus does in this text is remind us that these two things belong together. They are necessarily intertwined. I wonder if we could be the church 
who comes to understand that our words explain our deeds and our deeds validate our words. That we're always uh, caught up in this system of words and deeds and we can't separate them from one another. I want to take a leap today and say, as simply the intern of the church, I'm allowed to take these type of leaps, that maybe our healing work that we do is not actually sufficient in itself. The social justice, the good projects that we go out and do in the world, the ways we live radically as other, uh, radically in discipleship for the others of the world, it's not actually sufficient in itself. I want to take another leap and actually say that our words, our evangelism is also not sufficient in itself that it only makes sense in the context of meaningful deeds. These two belong together. So maybe we could think about them as a feedback loop, always going back and forth, or maybe a spiral of discipleship where we continue to go further in and further out into the wide country of salvation. Words and deeds, the life of Christian discipleship, it hinges on this. Maybe you've been a part of a conversation where someone has brought up this quote. It's a quote that's attributed to a person named St. Francis of Assisi from a long time ago. Who knows if he actually said it, but it's a pretty popular quote in Christian circles. Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. It's a provocative statement. It's worth examining. It's worth sitting around and having a conversation after the service today. Preach the gospel always when necessary. Use words. Is this the life of a Christian? I want to propose to you today that that might be complicating it. What if we just preach the gospel, knowing and recognizing that the preaching of the gospel always involves words and deeds in tandem? This is the life of Christian discipleship. And maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are the faithful witness of the church, just maybe the world would be able to turn their eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, so that the things of earth might grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May we be that church, Blacknell, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.